Hello and welcome to this edition of Wineskins, a program that features reflections on the lives of the saints and sacred scriptures, along with information on topics and issues from a Catholic perspective. I'm Father Jim Corda. Wineskins is brought to you by the annual Diocesan Appeal, the Catholic Communication Campaign, and St. Paul's Catholic Books and Gifts, a division of the Society of St. Paul. On our show today, I will interview Dr. Tim Collins from Walsh University. We will also look at the life of St. Boniface, as well as reflections on the readings for this Most Holy Trinity. That and more coming up on Wineskins. In our Bishop's Corner, we will welcome Ralph Holzhauser. Join me again is Ralph Holzhauser, who is the Diocesan Director of Music for St. Columba Cathedral here in the Diocese. Welcome to Wineskins. Thank you so much. You know, last time you were here with us, Ralph, we got to know you a little bit better and about your passion and love for music, especially here in the church. Let's talk about your role as the Diocesan Director. What exactly does that involve? So a lot of my day-to-day encompasses reviewing guidelines, say for weddings and funerals, and revising them, looking at salary guides, revising them, comparing them, you know, with the NPM guidelines, the AGO guidelines, in terms of kind of looking forward just a little bit. I think it would be nice to have more gatherings of musicians just so we can see where we're all at and from there. You've been here for 10 months, almost a year right now, and you've worked with other musicians here in the diocese for different functions and celebrations. How has that been, and what do you want to continue to do with those musicians? Honestly, especially for the Christmas, it was so wonderful just to meet everybody. That was one of the challenges and still is one of the challenges is getting to know everybody. I think just going from there, seeing what I can do to support them in my role. That's what I'm trying to do at this point and I think I will continue to do so. And you, you basically serve as an example really for musicians and for young people who have that gift. What can you share with us that you would do and done to encourage young people to consider life in the church as a musician? Be a sponge is what I would say. Absorb all you can from every facet of your musical life and explore that. And, you know, as we talked about, I love all different genres of music, and I think taking some of those influences really helps me become a better musician overall, and I think that also applies to church music. What would be some of the challenges as you kind of look ahead? We're now on the cusp of summer now. What would be some of the things that you are looking forward to? Well, summer provides the opportunity for a lot of conventions to be that sponge, you know, that I talked about, to absorb as much as I can. I'm looking forward to the choir season starting again and building up the choir a little bit more. I'm also looking to start a children's diocesan choir. I think that would be so wonderful, and I think that's a thing this diocese could very, very much use. You know, as you were talking about that, what comes to mind is that children are so impressionable, and if we want to teach them good things, we want to do that at a young age, and especially someone who might have the talent as a musician, as someone that can sing or eventually write music, to encourage that, to promote that, that really would be part of your charge, but also part of the church's job to encourage that. As we look to the future, do you see more people getting involved in learning 
about church music? I hope so. You know, it's interesting because I think purely in the organist world, we're on the uptick. It's really interesting to kind of see just across the country. In terms of the church, I think we just have to be as encouraging as possible and reach as many people as we can, especially with the good news, but especially just having kids understand what good church music is. Let's talk just briefly about music in parishes. Why is it important to promote and to have good liturgy in our parish? The liturgy is part of the music, and the music is part of the liturgy. And it is like a great, great, great conversation between two people, the spoken word and the musical aspect. A lot of people, you know, they won't say it, but if the music isn't so good in the liturgy, then they'll go to a place that does have good music. So always keeping that standard pretty high and accessible to people can't be more important. Ralph Holzhauser, Dawson Director of Music here at St. Columba Cathedral. We thank you for your presence here again on Wineskins. Certainly look forward to that again down the road and we thank you for what you're doing music is an important part of the life of the church and her members that includes all of us and so we thank you for encouraging that for working with fellow musicians for writing music and for all that you will do to enhance that gift and ministry here in the diocese of youngstown so thank you thank you for wineskins i'm father jim corda the church celebrates a feast of St. Boniface tomorrow. To tell us more is Martha Coulter. She is from St. Jude Church in Columbiana. This saintly bishop, an apostle to Germany, was martyred together with 52 companions on June 5, 754. Immediately, a cult arose in Boniface's honor, not only in Germany, but also in England, where he was named co-patron together with Gregory the Great and Augustine of Canterbury. His feast was introduced to the Roman calendar in 1874 at the request of the fathers of the First Vatican Council. Boniface was born in England in 673 and received his education in the monastery of Exeter and entered the Benedictine Abbey there. He was so successful as a missionary that he was ordained a bishop in 722 and given jurisdiction over all of Western Germany. Later on, he would be given Bavaria as a new mission and eventually was named the Archbishop there. For the next nine years, he founded numerous dioceses. It was in 741 that he founded the famous Abbey at Fulda, and while administering the Sacrament of Confirmation on a group of converts, he was murdered by a hostile band that suddenly descended upon him. In accordance with his wishes, he was buried at the Abbey in Fulda where to this day, the bishops of Western Germany hold their meetings. Inspired by the example of St. Boniface, we pray that we may be loyal to our faith and have the courage to profess it all of our lives. For Wineskins, I'm Martha Coulter. Joining me is Dr. Tim Collins, who is the president of Walsh University in North Canton. It's a pleasure to have you on the show today. Swords up, Father. Yes. It's great to be here. Thank you so much. Yeah, you know, the last time we were together, Dr. Collins was around the end of COVID. You were on our Spotlight show, and we got an opportunity right. to Thank talk you. about some yeah. wonderful things that were going on at Walsh. And since then, a lot more has been happening. And I'd like you to kind of bring us up to oh speed on Thank some you, of the Father. things that are happening. Yeah, I'd love to talk about that. So, you know, we're living in some crazy times right mm -hmm. now. And even the most rational person in the world can look at some of these things happening and go, this is just not right. At Walsh, we're responding to all that, and we have some really exciting things going on. And I think to sort of frame this, 
you know, there's data out there that shows the students that are coming on college campuses today, those ones that just came through the door in this mm -hmm. academic year, are the least worked generation in American history. 80% of them, Father, have never worked outside the home. And so we find ourselves, this is the first time actually in American history, we have seven generations of Americans that are alive. Mm -hmm. We've never had mm -hmm. that before. And so you think about the students that are coming to us and what we're doing and what is happening to them before they even get here. And think about all the things that young people learn mm -hmm. in part-time employment that they're not learning anymore. So we're thinking about how do we fill that gap? Yeah. How do we catch up to that? We just launched it here in late April, and it's called Career Connections. Mm -hmm. We've taken the old career services model, mm -hmm. which was built after World War II, how you take a college graduate and get them plugged into the workplace mm -hmm. and thrown it out. We're going a completely different way. Yeah. And so we've got some national experts in this field that have been working with us pro mm -hmm. bono because they see the value of Catholic education, they see what we're trying to do, and they want to be a part of this excitement. And for every student that comes to Walsh now, we're going to start working on this idea of how do we get them ready with relationships and some of these softer skills that they need to know from the time they're freshmen. See, most colleges and universities, they think about career services when they're juniors or seniors. They think about writing a resume, how to do an interview. Yeah, we kind of have to do all that, yeah. but we have to do a lot more than that. We have to learn how to help them activate their experience in college mm -hmm. because since they haven't been in the workplace, many of them don't even really know what this college degree mm -hmm. can do for them and mm -hmm. what the expectations will be as leaders out there once they graduate. If you think about 99% of all of everything in America is led by people with college degrees. So that's the exciting part of what we're doing is career connections. You know, as you were talking, one thing struck me is that when we were younger, it almost seemed like everybody worked, whether it was um, yeah. a regular paying job or you got spending money, but everyone was in this whole idea that we needed to do this. Why has it been so foreign for a lot of our younger generations that that's not been their experience? Yeah, Father, I think the reason is because the people that are influencing these young people today, they no longer see the value in work. I think they are looking at work through the lens of the optimization of money. And sure. if that's your starting point, then they're influencing them say, well, don't do that. Mm -hmm. It's not worth it. Or if you need $20 for this, I'll put gas in your car. Mm -hmm. And they're substituting. But the problem is they're substituting it with sitting in front of a screen by themselves. <laughs> this is the other thing with these students that are coming to us today. They are pretty much self-learners. The last three years, mm -hmm. you said, throughout the pandemic, they've been learning on their own in front of a screen. Right. And so I know when I go in the classroom today and I'll mm -hmm. sit in the back, and the students are all on their phones. You know, this mm -hmm. was a big thing at first. Can they be on their phones, not on their phones? Uh -huh. What are we going to do about that? And a lot of people think those students are on their phones because they're, you know, texting their friends mm -hmm. and, you know, doing TikTok and all that. And they might be. But recently what I've noticed is they're actually fact-checking mm -hmm. the faculty. Interesting. And so, you know, we were a generation that when we went to college, we were taught information just in case we ever needed it. These kids are thinking about information just in time when I might need it. And so you have a completely different thing. So students today, they actually don't need teachers the way they used to. And what they need are people to teach them how to think about what they're doing instead of being told what to think, and then how to use information in a way that can help them get done what they want to do. So they fact check. 
And that's yeah. the starting point for them to understand that, okay, maybe I don't believe what that person's saying anymore. Interesting. One area that I'd like us to really spend some time now is your cooperation with the Archdiocese of Erbil yeah. in Iraq. That yes. sounds like a great oh, venture. Father, Tell so us exciting. about that. We've changed the way we think about opportunities for our students to study abroad. We don't call it study abroad anymore. And Walsh has always been an institution. The brothers brought this year where we go to the edge of society, we go to the periphery, we bring people mm-hmm. in that maybe wouldn't have ordinarily had an opportunity to have this education. Mm-hmm. And what our experience has been that when we say study abroad, to a whole population that struggles economically, struggles Mm -hmm. socially, they just click and turn it off. If you want to learn about poverty, you don't have to necessarily go to Africa. Go to Canton, (laughs) and you can learn about that. So we call it Study Beyond. So in our Study Beyond program, what we've looked at are some of the opportunities that we have overseas. So we've built a new Rome program now, and we're partnering with Australian Catholic University. We've got a program now in Austria, and we're partnering with Franciscan University in Steubenville. We have a program now in just outside of Dublin with Carlo College in Ireland. Mm -hmm. And now we have a partnership with the Catholic University of Erbil. Archbishop Warda, who Mm -hmm. I think is Mother Teresa before the world Mm -hmm. knew Mother Teresa. He was the archbishop. He's an Eastern Rite Chalcedon. Mm -hmm. And he was in his diocese when ISIS came through in 2015. Mm -hmm. And when they did that, he was at 1.2 million Christians were there. Orbeel is in the northeast corner of Iraq. Mm-hmm. So sort of think of it way up north, it borders Turkey and Iran. And as ISIS came through, that Christian population dropped to 150,000 mm-hmm. kidnapped, you know, refugees, right. murdered. Mm-hmm. And the, his grace decided that if he left, Christianity would be wiped out. Mm-hmm. So he stayed. So part of what he's been doing is rebuilding all of that. Mm -hmm. So he's been building schools and he's been building hospitals. So he's now in a partnership with University of Dallas, with Franciscan University in Steubenville, Mm -hmm. and with Walsh. So two out of the three are Ohio places. Mm -hmm. This is a good thing. And we're now collaborating together to bring to us the opportunity for Middle Eastern experiences. Mm -hmm. If faculty or students are studying Middle East history, Mm -hmm. they want to learn the language. Some of this can be done on the ground. Some of this can be done just, you know, hybrid through Mm -hmm. Zoom. Or if they want to learn something from us, we can teach back the other way. Mm-hmm. And so through the archbishop, as the chancellor of the university, mm-hmm. he has agreed to work with us and us with them in what kind of contributions can we make, not just against what he's focusing on, the persecution of Christians. You know, he's talked to the United Nations Security Council. He's actually, he was our commencement speaker this year back in May, and we were just so privileged to have his grace with us. But this is an opportunity, I think, for people, particularly at Walsh, to learn and think about the Middle East not in the way the media has shaped our thinking since you know Saddam Hussein rolled into Kuwait in the 1990s, but to really think about what's happened there historically. You know, in Iraq is where the confluence is of the Tigris and Euphrates rivers. Right. That's the Garden of Eden if we read the book right. Yet you look at it and it's just such a different kind of place than that. So we're very excited about that particular opportunity to combine with all the other things we're doing in Europe. And then we've just recently signed an MOU with the Nang University in Vietnam. So now we're turning our attention to Asia as well. Mm-hmm. The brothers brought a global perspective to Walsh University for our entire 63 year history. They've talked about that. The brothers themselves are around the world. And so we think our effort to maintain those connections outside of just our own experiences helps keep that legacy of the brothers alive. 
Well, Dr. Tim Collins, president of Walsh University, we thank you for giving us some updates. We look forward to your presence again in early fall when we're celebrating uh, significant anniversaries. The diocese celebrating 80th and Walsh 63. So we're going to talk yeah. about that. So thank you for your presence today and God bless you. Thank you so ministry. much. Thank you, Father. Swords up. For Wineskins, I'm Father Jim Corda. For more information and to listen to Wineskins, visit the website www catholicecho.org. Stay with us. We'll be back in a moment. The annual diocesan appeal, One in Hope, One in Mission, is the primary activity of raising funds to help the clients of Catholic Charities throughout the Diocese of Youngstown, as well as supporting the many ministries and activities of our diocesan church. This year's goal is $4 million. While that seems like a very vast amount, It is an attainable goal when everyone throughout our diocesan community recognizes the way in which God has blessed them and offers whatever resources possible, coming from all of our parishes across our six counties, to truly be a people of charity, a people of hope, a people of mission. I thank you for your gift to the annual appeal, and I hope that together we might all continue to be one in hope and one in mission, building up the life of the church and building up the presence of Christ for all in need. God bless you. The first Sisters of the Humility of Mary came together in France in 1854. In their rule, approved by the Bishop of Nancy in 1858, the founding sisters gave expression to their faith and their lived experience. The entire community came to the United States of America in 1864 including nine professed sisters, two novices, three orphan girls, and Father John Joseph Begiel, the spiritual director for the little community, and their ecclesial liaison. In regard to the Eucharist, their rule translated into English in 1877 clearly stated that they will love and serve Jesus Christ in his real and natural body, that is to say the Holy Eucharist, in his temples, and they will serve him in his mystic body, their neighbors, who are his members. The personal experiences of the First Sisters of the Humility of Mary was one of wonder and reception of God's gratuitous gift of love in the person of Jesus Christ. This lived experience was also one of meeting Jesus in the sacrament of the Eucharist and of meeting and serving him in the sacrament of their neighbor. Catholic Charities Summer Hunger Campaign aims to alleviate some of the stress that many families face during the summer when children do not have access to daily breakfast and lunch at school. Funds and donations collected during this campaign enable Catholic Charities to offer healthy food and snacks to families during the summer months. Catholic Charities continues to serve our neighbors in need during these difficult times, providing food, food vouchers, and other material goods. What can you do to join with Catholic Charities in fighting hunger? Pray for families who suffer from food insecurity, donate to the Summer Hunger Campaign, or visit our Dollar Days wish list to purchase products most needed by our families. To learn more or to make a donation, visit www.ccdoy.org.
The song we have for you today is from the CD called His Sacred Heart. It is by the Kellenberg Memorial High School Choir.
And to tell us more about the scriptures for this Most Holy Trinity is Father Chad Johnson. He is a vocation director for the Diocese of Youngstown. As we celebrate Trinity Sunday today, I must start by saying that when we try to come to some understanding of who God is, and we try to end up putting him into a box, we'll always fall short. Yet the doctrine of the Holy Trinity is one of the foundational teachings that shapes our understanding of who God is. At the core of this doctrine is the recognition that God exists eternally in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This unity of the Godhead is something that we cannot fully comprehend with our finite human minds, but it is a mystery that we must accept and embrace as essential to our faith. The implications of the Trinity for our Christian faith and life are manifold and significant. The Trinity reveals that God is a God of relationship, love, and community. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are distinct persons who share the same divine essence, united in an eternal bond of love and mutual self-giving. Moreover, the Trinity reveals that we are created in the image and likeness of God as beings who are meant to live in relationships of love and communion with others. We are called to imitate the triune God by loving one another as he has loved us, by sharing our lives and resources with those in need, by forgiving one another as we have been forgiven, and by building communities of faith, hope, and charity. At the end of the day, the most important thing we can remember is that God is not a problem to be solved, but a mystery to be lived. May we ever embrace that mystery so as to live always in the love of God. For Wineskins, I'm Father Chad Johnson. If God sometimes seems hidden from us and hard to find, don't let it bother you. Just keep your eyes open and your ears in tune to his voice and fill him in your heart. He dwells in each of us. Wineskins is made possible through the annual Diocesan Appeal, the Catholic Communication Campaign, and St. Paul's Catholic Books and Gifts. The program is produced by the Roman Catholic Diocese of Youngstown. I'm Father Jim Corda saying thank you for being with us. Have a blessed week. have you done for your marriage today? I gave my wife a hug this morning. I thought uh, I love her. I uh, did her hair this morning. I think it looks pretty good. <laughs> I cooked my husband's uh, favorite breakfast. I bought her an orchid. What have I done for my marriage today? I sent my husband a love email. I read the newspaper to my wife and it cracked her up. She's, but she's still laughing. <laughs> what have you done for your marriage today? Make a change for the better. Need help? Go to foryourmarriage.org. A message from the Catholic Church. They say America is the land of opportunity, but for some, life isn't so easy. Right now in America, one in six children lives below the poverty line. That's nearly 13 million children of all races all across our country. Where do you draw the line and get involved? You can make a difference in more ways than you think. Go to povertyusa.org today, because one in six children in poverty is one too many. A message from the Catholic Campaign for Human Development.